Well, Craig asked me to preach for him this Sunday, and uh, with some fear and trepidation, I said yes, because I've been traveling for the holidays much as you have, and uh, so the Lord provided in a mighty way, I think. You can be the judge at the end of it all. But uh, to stand up here and to preach is something that we kind of get used to, Craig, doing week after week. And yet, there is an awesome responsibility in this. And I hope you pray for him. Uh, I know we do. Uh, And I hope you'll pray for me. But uh, I was struck by a passage out of 1 Samuel chapter 3 where Samuel was first called by the Lord. He was a young boy and God called him and he thought Eli was calling him. So he went to see Eli and said, here I am. And Eli said, I didn't call you. In fact, that happened twice. And then Eli coached him that it must have been the Lord. And so when the Lord called him another time, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. So why don't we take a moment to pray and ask that the Lord would prepare our hearts that we might say the same as Samuel, speak, Lord, for your servants here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit who works through your word and speaks to us. Thank you that you care enough for us that you speak to us each day and that you care for how we live and how we relate to one another and, most importantly, how we relate to you. And so I pray that you would work through your word, even as you guide me, uh, that this word might be from you and might be effective in our hearts. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going, the bulletin says I'm preaching from Isaiah 54, and in fact, I will touch on Isaiah 54 a little bit here and there, but uh, I'm not going to read a passage to you right off the bat, because we're actually going to touch on about five or six chapters of Isaiah, not in great depth, obviously, or we would be here by next New Year's Day. But uh, in any case, I would like you to follow along, and I will uh, encourage you to look in your own Bibles, in fact, turn to Isaiah 53, because that's where we'll begin. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, there are pew Bibles uh, in front of you, and I would encourage you to use them as well. Now, New Year's Day is a holiday that readily brings to mind new beginnings and New Year's resolutions. We've all made them. Let's own up to the fact that we have. Uh, Yet celebrating the beginning of a new year is not a unique practice to Americans or even to uh, Western culture. In fact, even God prescribed marking the beginning of a new year. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 2, uh, on the occasion of his deliverance of the Hebrews from slavery in Egypt, uh, he told them, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. It was commemorated with the Passover, which was a marking of God's gracious deliverance of the Hebrew people. But he also called them to uh, make changes toward how they followed him as God, that they might follow him more faithfully. Indeed, the beginning of a new year represents an occasion for all of us to take stock of our lives and to recognize changes that need to be made for the better. Making resolutions can be a helpful practice. 
But truth be told, our experience, uh, our experience shows that we often think that it depends upon our abilities to change ourselves. And our experience with resolutions and the longevity of their uh, lasting changes doesn't present an admirable track record. Let's face it, January provides sales on bathroom scales, exercise equipment, and gym memberships. And yet, as one social observer said, if you'd like to have a quiet time away from the crowds, then go to a gym on February 1st. What does bring about lasting change? How can we break this cycle of New Year's resolutions which lead to disappointing results in a surprisingly short time? Well, I want us to study a variety of passages uh, to see what God offers here. And what I want us to see is three things. What, first of all, that we have need, and then the means for change, and the power to experience lasting change. First, we need to look at the need for change. Anyone who honestly evaluates himself or herself quickly sees that we need to change for the better. If you have a problem identifying areas in your life that need changing, then just ask your husband or your wife or your close friend, and they will be glad to tell you because they have 20-20 vision for your faults. That's quite a challenge. In fact, I heard that in marital counseling at one point uh, from somebody, and I thought that's a pretty scary prospect. But in any case, look at Isaiah 53, and I want us to look at verse 6 in particular. And it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, we're all aware that we need to change, and this verse makes it abundantly plain that we do have a need to change. We've gone astray from the way of living that God has created us for, and more specifically, He tells us that we've chosen to serve ourselves rather than the Creator. Now, this trap is this very same one that Satan used for Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And let's face it, human beings have been stepping into that trap generation after generation ever since. We find it so easy to serve ourselves. There's no question that we need to change, but change just for change's sake is really not sufficient. In fact, change is largely meaningless unless we know what sort of change is worthwhile. Therefore, we need a standard a standard by which to determine what sort of changes really are good to make. And we find that standard, no surprise, in God's Word. In fact, in Romans 8, verse 29, he says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And so the goal for change is that we would become more and more like Jesus, in our character, in our behavior, that our character and our behavior would consistently reflect Him. In fact, we're told in 2 Corinthians 5 that we're ambassadors for Christ, and so we ought to represent Him, and we ought to do it correctly. 
Now, admittedly, this is a pretty general description of the goal for our lives. So let me offer you something a little more specific. So turn over to uh, Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 22 and 23. And if you're using a pew Bible, you'll find that on page 826. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 say this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, trees bear fruit according to their nature, and so if you want apples, you go to an apple tree. If you want a peach, you go to a peach tree. And so also, if we are to become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ, then we should see this fruit of God's Spirit in our lives, and it should be increasing over the course of our life. What about you? Are you aware that you need to change? Do you see the fruit of the Spirit in your life on a daily basis? Have you identified areas in which aspects of that fruit are missing or are not growing as they should? Well, it's a good start to admit our need for change and to recognize what sort of changes are needed. But how are we going to be any different than those who make New Year's resolutions and fail to keep them year after year? What resources does God provide so that we can see the changes that last a lifetime? If God's called us to become like Jesus, then we can be sure that He'll also provide the means for change. So turn over to Isaiah chapter 55. You'll find that on page 524 in your pew Bibles. And I want to look at just the first three verses of Isaiah 55. It begins, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live, and I will make you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Now, God is pointing to himself as the chief resource for life and for life change. Those who don't follow Jesus Christ are seeking the good life. But as this passage indicates, they're looking for it in all the wrong places. Money won't buy life, nor will social status or a good job or good friends, the right house, the right car, a good education, or any other thing. The Lord says, come to Him, though you are impoverished. Come buy without money. And indeed, we are spiritually poor until we turn to Jesus Christ. Therefore, the first means for change is to fix our eyes on the standard, to fix our eyes on Jesus and hear what He says. 
Turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. You'll find that on page 852. This may be reminiscent, by the way, of sword drills when you came up in vacation Bible school. We'll help you along the way. So Hebrews 12, which is page 852 in your pew Bibles. And what I want to read here is verses 2 and 3 of Hebrews chapter 12. God says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This passage tells us to rivet our attention on our Savior, Jesus Christ. He set the example of perseverance in serving God. He did it to save us and to encourage us in how to live. But he's left us with not just some abstract good example to watch from afar. He's also given us his word, the Bible, to instruct us. Wonderful verse in Psalm 119 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? by guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. God has given us his word as a precious treasure to help us know how to become more like Jesus. The problem is that uh, he has given this to us but not this alone. We need more. And so he's given us his Holy Spirit who speaks through the Word as we read it, as we study it, as we meditate upon it, and as we memorize God's Word. The Holy Spirit speaks through us. But the problem is is it takes more than just owning and occasionally opening a Bible. Occasionally reading it, or, or let's be modern, a Bible app You've got to do more than just glance at it occasionally. See, if all we do is glance at it occasionally, it really doesn't settle in. In fact, let me turn to you another passage over to the epistle of James, chapter 1. You'll find that on page 854 in your pew Bibles. And I want to look at verses 22 through 25 of James 1. And this is what uh, James tells us, starting in the 22nd verse. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer but who who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. See, what good is a hammer if you don't wield it? What good is a car if you never take it out of your driveway? What good is the word if we don't take it in and apply it in our lives? God has given us his word so that we would apply it that we would live it out. Now, in order to see lasting change in our lives for good, we must utilize another 
means that he provides for us, and that is the condition of our own heart, which we must be sure that our heart is humble and committed to become like Jesus. In Isaiah 66, verse 2, it says, this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Isaiah is describing a person who sees his or her entire dependence upon God and in a spirit of humility takes God's word so seriously that he or she trembles at his word. Have you ever trembled at the reading or hearing of God's word? I don't think it's a real common experience. So often we read or we hear God's word and we just move on with it without it impacting our lives at all, or very little. Could it be that we've become so calloused that we can read the very written word of our Creator and it doesn't faze us? And yet he says the one that he listens to is the one who trembles at his word. If we expect to be changed by God's word, then we must have it take up residence in our hearts and in our thinking in every circumstance. Jesus himself in John 8, 31 and 32 said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The thing that sets us apart as his disciples is that his word has meaning in our lives. It impacts how we live. And so abiding in God's word implies a deep hunger to know God and to be what he calls us to be more and more like Jesus. The problem with all New Year's resolutions is they often, we often get discouraged when we don't see change that we desire right away. Let's face it, we've become products of our culture where we expect instant or at least rapid gratification. We want results and we want them now. And so we make a resolution and it doesn't pan out quickly and so we have a tendency to get discouraged. When we don't get what we want, we're tempted to give up. And that's why gyms are not crowded in February, as, as they are in January when people's resolves are still fresh. And so another means for change is a, a resolution in our hearts to never give up. We should never give up on pursuing the calling of becoming more like Jesus. You know why? Because God never gives up on you. If he doesn't give up on you, why would you give up? If the God of the universe is committed to making you be like his son Jesus, then we should never give up. And so God said to his people in Deuteronomy 31.6, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Or Jesus himself in his final message before ascending into heaven said, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How about you? Are you humbly committed to following Jesus no matter what the cost? But are you becoming discouraged because change is absent or so slow in coming even though you've tried so hard? We can become discouraged when we've done our best and yet 
we faced failure after failure. Maybe I'm the only one who's experienced that, but I suspect that some of you have too. The good news is that God will provide the power to experience lasting change. Turn back to Isaiah 54. It's on page 524 in your pew Bibles. We're going to spend some time in Isaiah 54, so the bulletin really didn't lie. We will be there. Isaiah 54, and I want to start with just the first verse, because God says some pretty amazing things here. He says, Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. That's so unexpected, so counterintuitive, especially in biblical times when a woman who was barren felt shame and would have been looked down upon by her community. Yet here's God telling her to sing for joy. How can this be? Now, yes, he's talking to Israel, and he's really talking to us because we are what he's focused on in Isaiah 54 and following. But see, God doesn't stop there. He goes on and he promises her that her children will be more than those of a married woman. What sort of promise is this? But then look down to verse 4 where God says, Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. Fear not, in other words, even though she has no husband to support her. And again, women in biblical times really depended upon their husbands for support. If you were a widow, it's very likely that you would end up destitute. Yet if she trusts God, her hope is not in her ability to support herself. The key to lasting change is to realize that change is not so much about you or me or our abilities, but rather it's founded upon and empowered by God's plan and promises for us. Right after God commands the widow not to fear, he gives her the reason. Look at verses 5 through 8. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. Now, host means armies. The Lord of the armies of heaven is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth He is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. God gives her and us the promise that with everlasting love He will have compassion on us. No matter how often you stumble, God's love is everlasting. Lamentations 3, verses 22 and 23 say, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 
And an equally great promise appears in verse 9 of Isaiah 54. Look there with me at verse 9. He says, This is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. Now, has God been faithful never to flood the earth again? Yes. And so he points to that faithfulness and says, In the same way, I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. Now, when someone first told me that, because of what Jesus Christ had done to save me, that God would never be angry with me again, frankly, I couldn't believe it. In fact, I argued with the guy and said, yeah, but what about this passage and that passage? For I knew how sinful I am. Of course, he must be angry with me because of, look what a sinner I am. Yet God, through Jesus Christ's death on the cross, has paid for all our sins. If we've received Jesus by faith and repentance. Isaiah reminds us of this truth back in chapter 53. Look back there. We started there. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You realize what he's saying there? All of God's anger for your sins and mine have already been absorbed by Jesus on our behalf on the cross. Therefore, it says in verse 10 of Isaiah 54, another important thing to absorb here. He says, For the mountains may depart, and the hills will be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Nothing, nothing is going to be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Yes, we live in a world where increasingly the Lord Jesus is despised, and people Uh, fight against him and against those who follow him. There's more persecution going on in the world today than there has been for, for centuries. And as terrifying as threats may seem, God gives us an, another, isol- uh, me, another ironclad assurance. And so look a couple verses further in Isaiah 54 to the last verse, verse 17. What a promise. He says, No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. And you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servant of the Lord, and their vindication for me declares the Lord. And this is confirmed in in the New Testament as well. If God is for us, who can be against us? The promises and the plan of God are wonderful, but you know, our inabilities are very real. And so God sends us His Spirit to be at work in and through us. Turn, if you would, over to Isaiah 59. You'll find that on page 528 uh, in your pew Bibles. Isaiah 59, and I want to look just at the 21st verse. 
Isaiah 59, 21 says, And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. You see, at Pentecost, God poured out His Holy Spirit into the heart of every believer. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God Himself dwells in the heart of every Christian. And the Spirit is there to instruct us, to correct us, to guide us, to reassure us. God's own power is at work in you to change you and to change me so that our inabilities are not a showstopper to God. In fact, Paul tells us in Philippians 2, verse 13, it's God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. And so the work of the Holy Spirit within us changes our will so that our desires will be conformed to Jesus' desires. And He changes our abilities so that we are able to do what pleases God so that we can become more and more like Jesus in character and behavior. As God has promised through Isaiah, God will not remove the Spirit or His Word from you. God's power for change will be with us always. Now, with God's promises and His eternal plan to make us conform to the image of Jesus Christ, how can we fail? God always accomplishes what He sets out to do. No one can stop Him, not even you or me. We will stumble. All of us do. However, in partnership with the Holy Spirit, as we stay focused on Jesus and as we live in God's Word, we will become what God has called us to be. He has even provided this community of believers to help one another in this task, in this pathway we're on. That's why the motto of this church is we are family on mission together. We're here to help each other. And one of the prime avenues for that is community groups. If you're not part of a community group, please come talk to me or talk to one of the many people in this congregation who are involved in community groups. I think we have nine of them now, do we not? Throughout the area, so, so geography shouldn't be a a stumbling point for you. But get involved in a community group. Get connected because that's how we encourage each other. God uses us in each other's lives. The way of following Jesus won't be easy. It wasn't easy for Jesus. God sometimes chooses to use great trials to mold us into His likeness. But His grace will always be sufficient to see us through the trial even with joy and thanksgiving. Remember that God established an ongoing commemoration at the beginning of the new year by the keeping of the Passover, which commemorated what God did to deliver His people. And in fact, next Sunday, we're going to have the Lord's Supper, which is the follow-through commemoration of what Jesus has done for us to deliver us. That ought to be an encouragement to us. So we can toss out lesser resolutions But let us use this new year to resolve to persevere with fresh hope in our zeal to follow Jesus Christ and to abide in Him. Remember that Jesus Christ is the Lamb who was slain for us. 
and he is making all things new. So let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you are the God who is effective in changing things, that you are making all things new, and that we are part of what you are making new. Oh, Lord, help us to steer clear of empty resolutions and focus on what really matters, that we would be like the Lord Jesus. Lord, you know we are weak. You know we are earthen vessels, cracked pots, if you will. But thank you that you've poured your Spirit into us. And I pray that you would so revolutionize our lives by the power of your Spirit that we would be surprised at what good things you accomplish because you are the good God. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.